You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Thank you, Aaron, for that song. And uh, it is interesting how... You know, the end is good, but sometimes in the middle it gets a little fuzzy, doesn't it? And it's a little bit hard to know how it's all going to work. But when you think about the fact that Jesus Christ himself uh, didn't prevent and, and avoid all the suffering, he actually went through it as well. It gives, you, it gives us hope that we have uh, an intercessor who knows where we are. And he can provide all the grace and help that we need in our times of trouble. Thank you for that message and song. It's a it's a good one. Genesis 4 is where we're going to be this morning, and I know you uh, are sitting and you're settled and comfortable, but we stand for the reading of the scripture, and uh, we're going to go ahead and stand out of respect of God's word this morning. Genesis chapter 4, hopefully it won't take you too long to find it. We're back in the book of Genesis this morning. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were in, the book, in, the, in Genesis chapter 3, and we saw the fallout of the disobedience from Adam and Eve and all the consequences and all the chaos and destruction. And from the beginning, everything had been good. God's word, everything it touches is good. His creation was perfect. Uh, everything was good. It was exactly the way that God intended it to be. But, but things are different now. And now every account that we read from Genesis 4 on Every account we read is tainted by man's sin nature. To this point, things had been pretty good and perfect. But now what's stark to me is the sin nature and how it affects everything. And it is interesting how you think that that the sin nature that Adam and Eve introduced, that it would be a gradual fall into the depths. Almost like if you've ever been to the ocean and there's a gradual Uh, descent into the ocean. You walk, you can walk for hundreds of yards sometimes and just slowly go out. That's how you think the sin nature would affect mankind, but it's not like that at all. This is a dive off of a cliff because one set of people, Adam and Eve, for a time they knew sinlessness. Then they have two sons, Cain and Abel, and that very next generation knows murder. We fell fast and we fell hard And I just want to look today at this account and try to see maybe how we can see ourselves in this man named Cain. Let's look at this. Genesis 4, verse 1. It says, And Adam and Eve knew, uh, sorry, Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell." And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain 
talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, and in a famous question of his own, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto her, her, unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Such a sad account. And today, I think we have a few things to learn about our approach to God, and I'm calling it this morning, the dangers of the way of Cain. The dangers of the way of Cain. Thank you for standing. Out of respect of God's word, you can be seated. A week from tomorrow is Labor Day, as, as most of us know. Some of you are looking forward to it because it means a, a day off work and maybe a day with the family. And I, I think it's not a bad gig that it's called Labor Day, but most of us don't have to work on Labor Day. Um, as I prepare for this message, I, I found myself looking up the origins of Labor Day just because some thoughts going through my mind. And, and, I, and I was looking at it, 1882, there was a, a labor union leader. His name was Peter McGuire. And there's some there's some controversy as to where it really started, but this is fairly accepted. A man named Peter McGuire uh, in New York City suggested that there should be a celebration uh, of honoring American workers. So they chose a date somewhere between Fourth of July and Thanksgiving. There weren't any many real big holidays. It has not much meaning. They just chose the first Monday in September to celebrate Labor Day. So they, they had a parade and a rally, and it was to celebrate the American workers. The idea quickly caught on. Pretty soon, Labor Day was being celebrated in, in many states. And in, 19, in sorry, June of 1894, it actually became a national holiday. So I got on the Department of Labor's website. I figured they probably have something about Labor Day on their website. And and was reading some things and reading some history about it. And I came across a, a statement that, that caught my attention. And it, read, and it reads like this. The vital force of labor has brought us closer to the realization of our traditional ideals of economic and political democracy. I have no problem with that. I do think that our country, in many ways, the, the success has been because Americans are willing to work. Americans are willing to work hard, and I'm grateful for that. I'm not downplaying the uh, benefits of hard work this morning. But the phrase that stood out to me was this. It is appropriate, therefore, that the nation pays tribute on Labor Day to the creator of so much of the nation's strength, freedom, and leadership, the American worker. And as I was reading that, it kind of stood out to me. I, 
I do think it's appropriate to be thankful for American workers and for their contributions. But the last phrase made me scratch my head. It is appropriate, therefore, that the nation pays tribute on Labor Day to the creator of so much of the nation's strength, freedom, and leadership, the American worker. And in my mind, as I was reading that, as a Christian with a hopefully fairly Christian worldview, I was thinking creator, and I was thinking they'd say something about God. But nothing was mentioned about God. So the American worker is the creator of the nation's strength and freedom and leadership. That's pretty interesting, because the last time I checked, there's only one creator, and his name is God. See, he's the only reason we have any strength. He's the only reason we have any resources. He's the only reason we have freedom at all. We owe our ability to labor to God alone. But that, but that phrase, and really, as much as it stood out to me, it did not surprise me because it's a microcosm of the average person's mindset toward God. Labor Day is a microcosm of a problem that mankind has dealt with for a long time. As humans, we're very good at taking credit for the things that God has done. And many Americans consider labor as the reason for our country's success, and they leave God out of it at all. And the fact, they don't even consider the fact that God has given them the breath that they breathe, and the life that they have, the abilities that they have, the strength of their legs and their arms, and the freedom that they have. They've left out the fact that, that God has given them all of their opportunities to succeed. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that hard work has no value. But when all is said and done, it is only because of God's blessings that we have anything good in our lives. It's about God's favor, not our labor. And I know that doesn't rhyme exactly, but when you're a preacher, you can make all kinds of things fit like that. It's not about God's favor. It's about man's, it's, it's, it's sorry, it's about God's favor, not man's labor. And this mindset really does sum up mankind's approach, not just to life, but to God as well. Since the very first son of Adam and Eve, we've been, and I say we as in humanity, we've been attempting to achieve a relationship with God in our own strength, in, an, in our own labor. What's interesting is labor, if you think about it, labor and toil is a consequence of the fall. So labor and toil, think about it for Cain, labor and toil, the reason that things were hard is because his parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. So labor and toil is a consequence of the fall. And yet here's Cain in Genesis 4 making it the basis for his faith. I mean, it's a consequence of the actions of the fall, and yet Cain is taking that consequence and making it his religion. It becomes the basis of his faith. And ever since Cain, men have tried to please God on their own terms. Jude 11, the, the book of Jude, verse 11 says this, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. And what, that, what Jude is referring to, and a couple weeks ago, Brother Ruckman preached a great message out of the book of Jude, and, and it's about apostasy, but what Jude is talking about, he's talking about those who have, left, who have left God's design for faith 
and redefined religion in their own terms. False religion is what he's talking about. It's the way of Cain. It says it right there in Jude 11. Cain, the very first natural born person, set up this false religion ideal that has been around ever since. We live in an age where most religions have left God's way and ventured into the way of Cain. Denominations have formulated their own doctrines and their own rules, and they've added to the Bible, and they've taken away from the Bible, and they've interpreted in the way that seems convenient for them. Individuals have determined their own truth. My truth, that's a popular phrase in our day and age. Well, my truth, what I believe, what's true for me, the vast majority of religion and individuals today, they are, their religion is established on the idea that religion is a work of man's labor. That religion, that achieving a relationship with God, is a result of how hard we can work to earn it. It's the way of Cain, and we would do well, folks, to stay out of that way. So to understand Cain, Cain's the first natural-born human being. I love Eve's announcement in, in verse 1 when it says Adam knew or Adam and knew his wife Eve. They came together physically and she conceived and bare Cain. And Eve said, I, I have gotten a man from the Lord. I love the way it starts. Eve's phrase is, is full of wonder and hope. I mean, think about it. She's never witnessed the, the idea of two coming together and then producing or reproducing a baby. They've never seen this before. And yes, God had said uh, to them, given them, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And they understood that in theory. But now that she's holding the baby, in her mind, she's like, this is a miracle. I mean, what, at mom's in here, ever, your first baby especially, but all your babies. You hold them in your arms and you say, what? I, this, this was growing inside of me? Now I'm holding it? It's a miracle. I remember our first baby, I just couldn't get over there. There's something alive and Grow, I mean, what a miracle. And we don't want to get used to the fact that this is God's divine, miraculous plan for reproduction. It's a miracle. She says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She recognized that God had done this and she has an idea of hope. And some commentators believe that Eve, as she held that baby, thought this is the Messiah that God promised in Genesis 3. That it's going to be over really quick. This is the Messiah here. She, she would be surprised and soon find out that wasn't the case. Verse 2, though it says, and she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So we start to see here, this is not just to give us an idea of their occupation, this is in some way setting us up to understand their character. Abel's a shepherd, Cain is a farmer. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with farmers today, that's not my point at all, but it gives us insight into the mindset that Cain approached God with. And we'll see that here in just a moment. Verse 3, it says, And in process of time it came to pass, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. So here's Cain, and, and he brings an offering of the fruit of the ground, uh, the fruit of his labor. He brings, uh, and I was trying to figure out the best way to, uh, to visualize this this morning. Sometimes all you need is a visual, and suddenly you have everyone's atten attention. I, we went to... Uh, Oklahoma in the last week. We were gone for a little over a week. And before we left, we thought, okay, those zucchinis, they're not, big, they're not quite big enough to pick. So we got back and, and we found this in the garden. Okay, it's a softball bat. 
And we found this, it's a little brother. And then we found this one who will require husky genes. <laughs> so we've got these zucchinis in our garden. And we thought, you know, well, they're not big enough right now. They're not big enough to, 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 to use. They're not big enough to, to pick and, and eat. We'll wait till we get back in a week. What we didn't realize, see, in Oklahoma, bugs eat your zucchinis before they grow to be big. But apparently, here in South Dakota, they don't like zucchini. Because, I mean, and zucchini is one of those things that gives you confidence that you're good at growing things when really you're not. It just, you can throw a seed on the ground, you've got zucchinis. So we got back and we, I, we picked these things up. And, and I was thinking, well, this could be a good illustration. I mean, it really does, doesn't it look? This could be an illustration for Sunday. I mean, think about it. Here's Cain. And he's bringing this offering to the Lord. The tiller of the ground, the, 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 the farmer is bringing an offering. And I'm just going to use zucchini because it's what I've got this morning. But he brings a zucchini and Abel brings a lamb. Now, first, let me say, it's not wrong to bring an offering to God from the ground. We could read Leviticus 2 and Leviticus 5 and other passages. And there are such a thing as grain offerings and even in Leviticus 5, God says, if there's a poor man and he doesn't have a, a lamb, if he doesn't have turtle doves, then he can bring fine flour as a sin offering. So it's not wrong to bring an offering to God as long as while you bring the offering, you bring it out of humility to say, I've got nothing else to offer you, God. This is all I have. And you bring it to God. It's a sacrifice. Well, see, I have a feeling, that, and we know this, that Cain did not come in a matter of humility. Cain did not come to God saying, I've got nothing else to offer you, God, so I bring this, the fruit of the ground, to, to bring to you because it's all I have. No, we know based on what happens here, that while Abel was bringing a sacrifice in humility, and Abel picked a lamb from his flock that was the fattest and the best, Cain was bringing something not out of humility, but out of pride. And he said, God, look what I have to bring you today. Look at all the things that the fruit of my hands, the labor of my hands has produced. And it's just interesting, too, to think that without, without moisture, he wouldn't have been able to grow a garden. Without the sun and without the soil, he wouldn't have had a zucchini. Well, maybe he would have, you know, back then, but... You don't grow something like this on your own. You have nothing to do with it. And yet here's, here's Cain acting as if in pride he has produced this. And that's why God did not accept Cain's offering. If you read Hebrews 11 about this passage, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So, here, so basically what we have to know, it becomes clear that Abel was bringing a sacrifice and he had faith in doing so. But Cain obviously did not have faith. Cain was bringing an offering that he thought, look at how impressive my bushel of fruits and vegetables looks. I'm going to bring this to God and he's going to be impressed with it. While Abel brought an, a sacrifice of faith, Cain brought an offering of pride. And that starts to give us a glimpse into the trademark of the way of Cain is that it depends on its own works to please God. 
It depends on the fruit of its own efforts. Cain's trying to impress God with his labor. His religion was built on a proud display of what he had produced rather than faith in God's plan. And you say, well, I don't know what faith is. How do you have faith? Well, here's how you have faith. Abel knew what God required of Adam and Eve when they sinned, and that is to bring a lamb, the blood of a lamb, to die as a substitute for the sin. So Abel, by faith, said, that's what God requires, so that's what I'm going to bring. You know what? Many times we think, I don't have very much faith. Faith is simply knowing what God wants from us and obeying it. Don't overcomplicate faith. That's what Abel did. He brought a sacrifice by faith, and yet here's Cain and pride. You know what this is? This is like the first Labor Day parade. Cain, Cain is the grand marshal of this parade. He's claiming that he can do it all in his own strength and labor. And in his own strength and the fruit of his own hands, he has come up with a plan that God will be pleased with. He's riding around in the back of the carriage. And he's waving and smiling and grinning. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, look what I've done. I can please God with my own actions. I can please God with my own works. This came from the very work of my hands. I can come to God my own way. I can define religion how I want to. Look at what I have done. And you know, folks, this is, it may seem weird for me to carry the zucchini around today, but bear with me. But you know, this really does symbolize what many people in religious circles are doing today. And instead of coming to God in faith in the work that he has done and what he has done, they are trying to please God with the works of their own hands. And yet God has clearly told us that, it is, that for by grace are you saved. Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast the way of Cain. Titus 3.5, it's not by, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. He has nothing to do with the works of our hands. And yet you could go to most churches in Sioux Falls, in South Dakota, in the United States, around the world. Go to most churches today, and most churches are teaching a form of religion that follows the way of Cain. They're teaching those in the pews that you must do your best. To earn favor with God. And yet 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 says that Cain's works were evil. For us to assume that God will be pleased with the work of our hands, the fruit of our labor, is a silly thought. You can find it in most churches, though. I mean, some churches teach our relationship with God is dependent on works. And they say, pray these prayers. And they say, get baptized this way. And they say, make this journey. And they say, do these works. And you can be accepted by God. Other churches may not teach salvation that way. But I, I would dare to say that many of those churches, though, are full of people that operate that way. Rather than living by faith. Rather than having a true walk with God. Rather than really living in close proximity to their Savior. We've got churches full of Christians that have left God out of their church life and are walking around with simply works of their flesh, fruit of their labor, being impressive and impressing others. And listen, I'm not downing somebody that's like that this morning. I've been there myself. We all have. 
And sometimes it's much easier to simply have an outward display than it is to have it be real on the inside and truly live by faith. But when we do that, we have religion without a relationship. This is the danger of the way of Cain. Here's the danger is that God will not accept someone who comes to him like this. And for Cain, you start to look at how many things it affected. For Cain, it turned into a contest of religion. Look at verse 5. Look at, look at his actions toward his own, his own brother. Genesis chapter 4, verse 5. It says, But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. That's interesting that Cain was very angry, and it implies that he had great jealousy and envy toward his brother because his brother had a sacrifice that God received and God did not, God rejected Cain's offering. It became a contest of religion to Cain. Meaning, when we operate in the way of Cain, when we're dependent on our own works and, we're, and our standard for religion is no longer about God, it's about what we can do. And so that therefore then makes it, our focus then becomes, am I doing more than what everybody else is doing? Am I, ple- am I winning the contest of religion? Looking around and we say, okay, look what I've got. Okay, yeah, over there. They've got a few things like this, but nothing. They don't have a zucchini this big. And over there, they're doing this and they're serving there, but they're not doing it to the same degree that I am. You know, it starts to create this contest mentality or a competition mentality where religion becomes a contest to see who can do the most and who can do the best. Here, while Cain is focused on the fact that Abel's offering and sacrifice was received, he should have been focused on the fact, no, listen, my offering didn't please God. I better change this. I better do something to fix this. When you get into a contest of religion, you'll be driven crazy by your inability to measure up because there's always going to be someone who outperforms you in the area of religion. If you're in the choir, there's always going to be a better singer. If you're teaching a class, there's somebody out there that's a better teacher. There'll be somebody with more talent. There'll be somebody with more spirituality and more experience. There always will be somebody with a higher position. Thank, Thank the Lord it's not about that. And yet we make it about that. It becomes a religious contest. And so God simplifies it for Cain, and I'm thankful. Look at God's response in verse 6. Cain was wroth, his countenance fell. Look what the Lord said. Why art thou wroth? Why is thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. See, I love how God deals with Cain. He doesn't come screaming. He doesn't come yelling. He shows compassion. And he says, you don't have to be this frustrated. Why are you angry? Listen, you're doing it the wrong way. If you'll do it the right way, you don't have to be angry. If you'll do it the right way, you can come to me and you're not going to be frustrated. If you'll simply do what I've asked you to do, I will accept you, God says. Folks, listen, God is not asking us to be the Pope. He's not asking us to write commentaries on the Bible. He simply asks us to obey what's required of us. And you know what? I don't care where you've come from. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what sins you've been involved in. But if you're afraid of being accepted by God, that fear is not coming from God. God says, if thou doest well, I will accept you. All he asks of you is to, by faith, know what his word says and obey it. And if you'll do that, I mean, you don't have to come from a Christian home. 
You don't have to have large passages of the Bible memorized. If you will simply, by faith, know what God's word says, you are just as readily accepted as the next guy who's got all the credentials. And that's what God tells Cain. He says, you don't have to be frustrated. If you'll just simply do what I've asked you, then I'll accept you. We've got some in here this morning, and you don't know about your salvation. And you say, I can't work well enough. I'd, I don't even have anything that impressive. I don't have any fruit of my labor. I don't have any works of my hands that God would be impressed with. Now listen, it's not about your works. It's about Christ's work on the cross. Listen, he was the ultimate and final substitute to pay for the sins that you and I have committed. And he died on that cross in our place as a substitute. And when he died, as he died, he said these words, It is finished. The work of salvation is done. And yet people uh, in churches all over Sioux Falls and our state and our country and all around the world are trying their best to get something this impressive. And they're working and they're laboring and they think, I've got to do the work. But listen, you don't have to work for salvation. Number one, because Christ has already finished the work. And number two, listen, you couldn't earn it if you wanted to. Our problem is not our lack of good works. Our problem is our sin. And listen, good works don't negate the fact that you're a sinner. And a lot of people believe, well, you know, God has a scale, and there's good works and there's bad works, and if my good works outweigh my bad works, then I'll be okay. No, listen, God is holy and he is sinless. Your good works don't just have to outweigh your bad works. Your bad works have to be done away with. Somebody has to wash them clean for you to go to heaven and spend eternity with God in, in heaven. You cannot enter that place, God's holy abode, if you're full of sin. And your good works, as good as they are, do you honestly think that they will impress God? Listen, you must be sinless to enter heaven. You say, well, that, now I'm in trouble because I'm not sinless. I'm not saying you have to be perfect and on your own be sinless. I'm saying you have to find somebody willing to pay for all of your sins for you, and it's already been done on the cross. Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins. And if you'll simply receive his payment for your sins by faith, you can experience the finished work of salvation in your life. But the way of Cain doesn't just affect the lost, it also affects Christians. And, and we struggle with the way of Cain. And by that I mean, Christian, listen. You say, well, this is a, a message for the lost. No, it's a message for us too. Redefining our spiritual lives with God is how we operate very often. We try to do things our own way. We try to live apart from God's strength as a Christian. And it's miserable. And you've been there, and I've been there. And God is saying, no, listen, you need to stop doing it. Get out of the way of Cain. And start leaning in my strength and on my power and in my help and resources if you will live by faith. You don't have to be miserable anymore. And that means that you've got to know this book. You've got to follow it. That's faith. It means that you have to wake up in the morning. You've got to spend time on your relationship with God. We overthink faith so often. It's simply no doing what God says and have him accept us. Listen, I love what God tells Cain here. 
He says, sin is ever present. It lieth at the door. Basically, he's meaning it will always be there to trip you up. But if you will simply do what I've asked you to do, then you can actually have victory over the sin that's sitting outside your door. There are a lot of people, maybe even in this room, and you've got to struggle with sin, and you don't know how to get over it, and you don't know how to beat it, and, and you need victory, and you're just struggling, and you're frustrated, and like Cain, you're wroth, you're angry, because you can't figure out how to please God. Listen, if you will simply live by faith, that means know what God's word says and do it. Stop overcomplicating it. I love, it's almost like this is the first counseling sh- session in the Bible. It's like God sits Cain down. Cain has a problem with anger. Cain has a problem with envy. And God sits him down on the, and lays him on the couch in his office. It says, Cain, if you'll simply obey what, I know, what you know I've revealed to you, you can control your anger. You can control your jealousy. Your rage will submit to you. These comparisons you're making with your brother, um, they can be done. They'll disappear because it'll be about you and me, not you and your brother. This is God's counsel. Man, it's good stuff. And you would think if you had a counseling session with God, it would change what you were doing. But look what Cain does. He goes out in verse 8. And Cain, in a premeditated way, he talked with his brother, with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. In a premeditated way, he carries out the murder of his own brother. Think about it. The first sibling, you think, well, our world has never been as bad as it is right now. Listen, the first two siblings on planet Earth, one of them killed the other one. Our sin nature has been in the depths since the beginning. And right now, what we're seeing is really no worse than what happened here with Cain and Abel, the first two siblings. And it ends, ends in murder. And here's the way of Cain, folks. It always leads to destruction. If you're trying to please God in your own strength, and you're trying to formulate your own religion and your own ideas, and you're trying to do it all on yourself, you will not find the life it seems to promise. You'll find destruction. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And it's one end, the end thereof, but there are many ways, the ways of Cain. And it always ends in destruction. When you live your own way and do religion your own way, it will lead to destruction. Listen, some of the most actively religious people that you know will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell because they were doing it their own way. Religious activity, the looks of fruit and labor of your hands, it doesn't make you saved. It doesn't please God. It's not coming to God on his terms. It's coming to God on yours. So God comes and he asks a question, where is Abel thy brother? And Cain lies and says, I know not. And then defiantly he says, am I my brother's keeper? It's so sad. Listen, here's the way of Cain again. It has no interest in the well-being of others. When you're living in the way of Cain, you're only concerned about yourself. Cain should have been his brother's keeper. Cain should have been concerned about Abel. But listen, part of the reason our world is so selfish is because religion has become a selfish exercise. And by that, I mean countless people, they pursue a religion in their own strength. So their religious life is all about them. I mean, everything they do is for themselves. 
And when that's our religious life, when that's our religion, when that's our mentality, we don't have concern for others. Cain should have been his brother's keepers, but his brother's keeper, but his religion was focused on himself to the point where all he cared about was getting things that he wanted. And I have to ask, have we gotten so works-oriented that we've stopped having compassion for the needs of other people? It's possible in the way of Cain to be so religious, religiously active for ourselves that we forget that the Bible says pure religion and undefiled is the care for the fatherless and the widows. Those that need some help, those that are down and out, if they're not getting help from God's people, where are they going to get it? We, we must stop being so self-focused in our religious exercise and look outward again. Because I do believe that religion has become, for most people, more about self-improvement. Many people are simply looking for the best programs for their children. Many people are simply out there trying to pursue uh, some kind of status in their churches. We've got to stop viewing religion like it's a social exercise and view it like it's, this is how we are. Well, look at all the things I'm involved in. Look at how I'm, I'm dressed. Look at how I appear. Look at my service to God. Look at all the things that I accomplish in this religious setting. And we need to set these things aside and be concerned about meeting the needs of other people. And folks, Eastside Baptist Church, Sioux Falls got close to 200,000 people out there. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus Christ? We're so self-focused. Religion becomes a selfish exercise, and that is the opposite of what it was ever meant to be. Yet that's what it's, it was for Cain. It's the way of Cain. God comes and he asks Cain, what have you done? And, and we're not going to get into all of this today, but judgment's required. So God sends Cain away and, and says, your ability to produce will now be very difficult. All the things that you've been able to produce as a farmer, it's going to be harder now. Not only that, I'm going to send you, you'll forever be an outcast. And Cain says, this, this consequence, this punishment is too much for me to bear. And that's another way of Cain. We're not going to get into it much today, but listen, he was much more concerned about the consequences for his actions than he was about the fact that he had killed his own brother. The only time you see a conscience in Cain in this passage is when he realizes how hard his life has to be now that he's done it. It's not about, I can't believe I've done this action. I killed my own brother, my own flesh and blood. It's not about, what are my parents going to think? How heartbroken are they going to be when they find out that their, old, that their son Abel is, is now dead? That wasn't it at all. No, he says, no, my punishment, God, is far too great, too great for me to bear. That's another reflection of the way of Cain this morning, folks is that we're not as concerned about our sin before God as we are having to deal with the consequences when we get caught. And if that doesn't reflect our country, I don't know what does. We live in a culture now where people will do whatever they think they can get away with. And we need, that's the way of Cain, is that I will get away with as much as I can but the way of Cain doesn't, doesn't even consider the fact that God sees everything you do. We need to get away from the way of Cain and get back to the fact that God wants people sensitive to sin. 
sensitive to the fact that we've broken God's law, sensitive to the fact that we have committed an offense before God and not just afraid of getting caught for it. Holiness begins internally. And I would venture to say that more churches, and ours included, we need to hear more preaching about holiness and we need to get back to holiness where our conscience is what leads us to remain right with God, not the fear of getting caught for, for, our, for whatever we've done. There's so many dangers of the way of Cain, and I could, I, we could spend lots of time in this passage. But here are the dangers, again, as a, as a review. We live for God in our strength. We try to be accepted by him with the works of our hands. We compare ourselves to others instead of God, and the result is it leads to spiritual destruction and banishment from the presence of God. Look at verse 16. After all of this is done, this is the, the, the worst result. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. This is honestly the most devastating result of the way of Cain. Listen, he says it, he went out from the presence of the Lord. So listen, what he thought was going to bring, he came with his arms full and he came with these things and he thought, oh, God's going to be impressed with this. This is going to get me really close to God. All I have to do is bring all the works of my hands and the, all, the, all of my labor and God will be pleased with this. He will accept me. So he brings arms full to God and God rejects it. And because of all the things that it led to, now Cain finds himself away from the presence of God. So listen, you might think that the works of your labor and the way of Cain will, will please God and get you to a point where God is happy and you're close to God and everything is right. But it actually does the opposite. When you live in the way of Cain, it leads you down a path that by the end of it, you're nowhere near God. And it reminds me of the Pharisees when Jesus Christ says, they draw nigh to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Cain finds himself in a place called Nod. And that means wandering. What he thought would draw him close to God in his own strength actually takes him as far away from God as he's ever been. Away from the presence of God. Wandering and searching and not finding God. Folks, if you're in the way of Cain this morning, as a lost person, the end of your life will be away from God. The presence of God won't be anywhere near you. And not only that, you'll wonder and search and never find it. Because God, he says, he draws nigh, nigh to those that are humble. He's nowhere near the proud. And that's where we find ourselves. And for some in this room this morning, that the list of these things, the, the way of Cain and the result of the way of Cain, it defines your life. You're nowhere near God because you've been doing it all on your own strength. And maybe it's a matter of salvation. And, and I have to ask, are you trying to get to heaven apart from God? Apart from his plan? You think that the works of your hand are going to please the God that created the heavens and the earth? That spoke the universe into existence? And you think that you're going to bring him something like this and say, well, God, but listen, I mean, I've been teaching a Sunday school class. And I've been involved, and I've been doing this and that, and I've given to charity. 
You think something like that is going to please God? Listen, you cannot please God apart from faith. Without faith, it's impossible. You're going to depend on religion, on baptism, and and your good works. Those don't impress God. Are, Are you depending on good intentions? Unless good intentions can wash away your sins, they're not going to help you. Stop ignoring Christ's sacrifice on the cross. His plan is already perfect. His blood was enough, and His blood's available for you this morning. You simply receive His payment, and guess what? You can stop, you can forget about all the labor and toil, and you can find rest that the work has already been done. For those Christians, are you living in the way of Cain? You're living Christian life in your strength. I don't know what the response will be this morning. I'm not trying to conjure up response, but I don't know a Christian that doesn't need to be reminded about living, trying to live for God in his own strength. There ought to be response this morning, and I'm not even saying at the altar. I'm not trying to conjure that up. I'm saying in your own heart at least. Because I know for me, it can, go, it can change from hour to hour sometimes. Are you serving him but not with his help? Are you waking up and getting on with your day without even time with spent cultivating a relationship with God? Going through the motions with a heart far from God? God doesn't accept those who depend on their labor to please Him. And, and He's not going to reward the ones that leave Him out of the process. He's not looking for your works. He's looking for your faith. You're going the wrong way. You're on the wrong road. to Get on the right path of faith. The way of Cain won't lead you past the exit of acceptance. There's no way to get to God's acceptance if you're in the way of Cain. Maybe it's time for some of God's people to repent of sin and get on the right path, faith's path. What does that mean? Well, it means read God's word. Obey God's word regularly. Find out what he desires. Pray and seek the Holy Spirit's help as you lead your family and work your job and serve at church and be a witness, just don't leave God out of the process. You can't please God with the work of your hands, but you can please God if you live by faith. And you say, I, it just can't be that easy. I don't have much faith anyway. No. Remember what God told Cain in their counseling session. He said, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? God's not asking you to write a commentary on the book of Revelation. He's simply saying, if you will do what I've asked you to do, if you'll just do well, that's all I'm looking for. If you just get in my way, I'll accept you. That's all I require. Know my word, obey it, by faith believe it, and you'll be accepted. Or work your whole life trying to do it your way and end up as far from God as you can be. Those are our choices. So I ask you this morning, is your life, is it a Labor Day parade? You're the Grand Marshal, and you're waving, however they wave in parades. And you're smiling, and you're grinning, and you're saying, look at all my life has produced. You're hoping they'll all be impressed with the fruit of your labor. And you're working your fingers to the bone to be accepted by God. 
but in the end, you won't be. If we'll simply heed this lesson from Cain's life, we don't have to end up in Nod. We can end up right next to God. Maybe it's time to transition from Labor Day to Faith Day. To leave Cain's way and get in God's way. And then enjoy acceptance by God. And listen, the choice is simple. And it's yours to make this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.